HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This episode is supported by Angry Orchard. HRN is teaming up with them to host a virtual event all about American cider. Check it out at heritageradionetwork.org cider. This is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. The American agricultural system was built based on the enslavement of African people, and the persecution of Black people within agriculture did not end with emancipation. Systematic discrimination against Black farmers via land thefts and exclusion from USDA loan programs has persisted over the past century. In 1920, close to 1 million Black farmers made up about 14% of America's farmers. In 2017, less than 50,000 Black farmers remained, making up just over 1%. Today's guest is Dania Davey, an attorney who has spent much of her legal career advocating for Black farmers And we're going to be talking about the overall history as well as the work she and others are doing to right some of these wrongs. Dania has worked closely with Black farmers to prevent the loss of their homes and land. She produced the documentary Our Land, Our Lives, the North Carolina Black Farmers Experience. And she co-authored and edited the resistance chapter in the book Land Justice, Reimagining Land, Food, and the Commons. And she recently joined the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, as the Director of Land Retention and Advocacy. Dania, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have you. And this will actually be the first episode of our summer 2021 season. So I'm glad to have you here to kick off our, our new season. So thanks for joining. Of course. Thank you. So I chose to start with that one sort of commonly cited statistic on the declining number of Black farmers in this country. But there's a lot of other data. There's a lot of other um, statistics I could have chosen. Can you give listeners a little bit of background on the scope of land loss that Black farmers have experienced in this country? 
Absolutely. And you did a really great job kind of referring to the most frequently referred to data that's out there. And the way that I think about it is that, you know, when the Constitution was drafted, all the black farmers at that time were legally classified as property. And then it wasn't Mm. until the 14th Amendment was passed that their legal status changed from property to a human citizen. Uh, so so the that in and of itself being classified as property and then becoming having the ability to acquire and own property is a huge shift in the the trajectory of the enslaved Africans who are now uh, the black and African-American community that we have today. Uh, so mm-hmm. we at the Federation look at the census of ag because, as you said, there's lots of different data that's out there that measures either land ownership, uh, farmland ownership timberland ownership. Uh, So we kind of cite to the U.S. census of ag where from, as you said, emancipation until 1910, 218,000 black farmers accumulated 15 million acres of land. By 1992, we saw that 18,000 black farmers owned 2.3 million acres of land, which represents over a 90% decline in both black farmers and black owned farmland. That's that's crazy. I mean, a 90% decline. It's just, it's insane. Um, so so what are the, some of the most common reasons that Black farmers have lost their land um, historically and, and, you know, continuing to today? So there's a long list of reasons, and it kind of uh, follows a, a path through history being the most extreme and to today being a little bit more subtle. Um, and so we saw, uh, you know, originally and still to this day, it remains the issue of race-based discrimination in both sales and lending. You referred to the USDA discrimination that took place. Um, but yes, so sales and lending still remains an issue uh, facing black farmers that that causes them to not be able to acquire as much or maintain as much uh, land ownership. There's also been a long, long history of racially motivated exploitation of legal means to acquire land. And by that, I mean adverse possession or squatter's rights and eminent domain. You might have seen that case out of California where that family recently regained access to land that was beach land. Um, We've seen that all along the East Coast for Black landowners as well, losing a lot of prime real estate along the coastland. We also have seen limited access to legal services as a result of racial discrimination um, in both education and just access to those services. Air property is probably the biggest ticket item when it comes to the explanation for how black farmers lose their land. And what air property is, is when a landowner dies without a will or some means of an estate plan, the state Mm. decides how their land is distributed amongst their heirs. So each living heir of that person will will own a share interest in the entire tract. And so there's been a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding about what that means. So there are people that think I'm the 10th child of this person, so I own one-tenth of the of you know one acre of a 10 acre tract and no you own a one tenth interest in 10 acres of land so the fractionated land interest among the heirs results in a whole host of problems such as people not paying their equal share of taxes that tax burden falling on the one 
heir that lives and farms the land. And if they're unable to do so, there's been a lot, a long history of tax sales resulting in lower prices for the landowners, as well as partition sales. And partition sales is another major, major contributor to land loss. Um, and what a partition sale is, is that any heir, because they own an heir interest in the property, they can sell their interest. And so if uh, someone sells outside of the family, for example, and that non-family member says, hey, I don't want to manage this land with all of these strangers, I want this property to be sold so that I can get my partition share of the sale. Um, and so there are people who were land speculators that kind of strategically identified vulnerable properties that were air-owned and really took advantage of the partition sales laws to be able to acquire large tracts of land for very, very little pennies on the dollar. Right. So that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot, I mean, just all these different factors. Um, and I, I do feel like heirs property that that's gotten more attention. There's been a lot of stories about that, um, in the past few years. Um, do you think it, did you, is that sort of the most prominent, um, cause of land loss or do you think it's just the one that has, has so far sort of been covered the most widely? Well, back 40 plus years ago, back in 1980, the Federation of Southern Cooperatives was, um, Congress asked us to conduct a study about heirs property and its impact on black farmland ownership. And that kind of became the basis for a lot of the, the inquiry research and legislation around heirs property. That's part of, you know, what kind of laid the foundation for the uniform air property partition acts that have been getting passed in the various states. So I do think that there are ways in which the air property issue has been uh, brought to the public's attention. But the other issues around discrimination in lending, especially the ongoing problems that farmers regularly have with accessing USDA programs, the 2018 Farm Bill, as an example, had legislation uh, language specifically around addressing the unique needs of air property owners and black farmers owners, and some of those uh, provisions have not yet been implemented. So I think that the discrimination in lending, the, the discrimination or a, a, actually the social discrimination in terms of the rural community's access to legal services and attorneys uh, continue to play an ongoing role in the, the issue of land loss as well. Right. Okay. So you know, these are big issues, big challenges. And a lot of times when we talk about them, they sound, you know, it's in the form of statistics or kind of explaining how these complicated legal things happen, right? But you've worked closely with um, farmers and families who are fighting to keep their land. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what this issue looks like on a human level. Like, can you give some examples of, of how families are affected? Absolutely. I mean, a very obvious example for me is the executive director of the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, Cornelius Blanding, shared in his remarks to Congress that as a result of air property issues, his, his he was personally... Um, you know, his family had to leave the land that, that they owned and had to grow up in kind of the traditional, you know, 
poverty scenario of subsidized housing and and you know government support and i can tell you that when i uh took my documentary on the road i i had screenings of it all over the country from california all the way across the southeast and there's never a time where i don't meet someone who is african american who doesn't have some experience of either a family member losing land because of the air property issue or because of racial discrimination in some other form, or they were the beneficiary of their family being able to hold onto the land because they were able to keep the land. Then, you know, one, you know, two of my closest friends from law school, they are grandsons of farmland owners. And so we see the opposite in that when we really support black farmers and, and give them access to markets where they can be uh they can, you know, manage their wealth and create wealth for generations, then we see that the exact opposite, where we where we input uh, support and invest in black farmers, then we see the, the benefit of our society having more educated and professional people that are benefiting from black farm wealth. Yeah, absolutely. So this past year also brought new challenges, right? We were in a global pandemic, still are. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, I guess we're kind of seeing maybe a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's, it's still, you know, the, the impacts are certainly going to remain for, for a very long time. Um, have you seen evidence of the pandemic um, exacerbating this particular issue? Like, um, you know, interacting with this already existent challenge related to um, land loss for black farmers at all? Absolutely. That's a really great question. And as I referred to that 1980 study that Congress commissioned, we see that a lot of those issues kind of remain unchanged, even with the the evolution of legislation that should be having a more direct impact on the on the lost land of loss of land slowing down, um, we really haven't seen that yet. Uh, and, and in reliance on the census of agriculture, we know that the average age of the black farmer is above 65, which coincidentally puts them squarely in the vulnerable position with regard to both race and age in terms of the COVID risk factor demographics. And so, as you mm. can imagine, as we've already addressed, with a lack of estate planning, um, that is an extremely vulnerable position to see what the remaining uh, Black-owned farmland is be, is owned by people that are extremely vulnerable because of COVID in particular. And so we've actually done a COVID needs assessment of our membership to get a better understanding of the impact of COVID and as well as the, the impact of the heightened awareness around racial injustice. And we're really trying to take that data and, and implement it in ways that will address that issue that, yes, we're going to see a need for a lot of legal legal services and legal support for estate planning for these uh, these families. Uh, but what I'm excited about in terms of the, what's going on in our tumultuous lives today is that there's a lot of awareness and education that what we're really seeing in terms of Black Lives Matter, we're really seeing a resurgence of the, the fact that we never adequately as a country adjust Jim Crow and the enslavement of African-Americans. And so because of that history and because our legislation has never 
appropriately cut the root, what we're seeing is the, the branches of all of that uh, white supremacist oppression for uh, the farmers continuing to this day. And so what I'm hopeful is that with this heightened awareness, people will actually understand, you know, the Federation has been in existence since 1967, and we're a proud beneficiaries of the civil rights movement. We're born out of work of the civil rights movement. And so that legacy, I think, is something that the work that's being done today can really build on and leverage the lessons that we've learned as an organization to survive all the eras of discrimination that we faced. Right. All right, we're, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk more about that legacy and also the, the work that you're going to be doing in the future. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Cheeselandia is a community for loud and proud cheese lovers brought to life by Wisconsin Cheese. I know that I can always cook amazing food with their cheese, and it's even good enough just to snack on. As a Cheeselandia member, I know there is always a supportive community behind me who always gets as excited as I do about cheese. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Check us out on Instagram at Cheeselandia. This episode is supported by Angry Orchard. I'm Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio, and I'll be moderating an amazing virtual event with Angry Orchard and Heritage Radio Network on May 26th. We'll be celebrating the release of the new first-of-its-kind book, American Cider, A Modern Guide to a Historic Beverage. I'll be in conversations with the authors, Daniel Pucci and Craig Cavallo. Then we'll welcome Angry Orchard head cider maker Ryan Burke for myth-busting about this beverage and an interactive cider tasting. When you order a ticket, you'll also receive a copy of the book. Visit heritageradionetwork.org cider. Plus, you'll find a link to purchase a hand-selected cider bundle from Angry Orchard so you can taste along with us. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org cider. All right, this is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Dania Davey. She's the Director of Land Retention and Advocacy for the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. Dania, you mentioned um, the legacy of the the Federation, but for those who don't know it, um, can you just talk a little bit about that legacy? What is the Federation of Southern Cooperatives and, and what does its work look like today? Absolutely. So the Federation of Southern Cooperatives Land Assistant Fund stands on a long and rich legacy of the civil rights movement and the related Black cooperative development movement. We were chartered in 1967 and remain the oldest and largest Black farmer-owned institution in the country. Our membership consists of Black farmers, cooperatives, landowners, and associates. Our current work today builds on all of that very, very difficult work. And I, I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that I'm just 
uh, I'm just a, a beneficiary and standing on the shoulders of some very, very committed and dedicated people uh, throughout history that have made it even possible for me to sit here and have this discussion with you today. And so we have that fantastic history that we're a part of, and I'm, I'm excited that we continue to do the work. And so the focus of our work today is primarily developing cooperatives and credit unions for people mm. to improve their quality of their lives as well as their communities. We also want to save and protect and expand the land holdings of black family farmers in the South and that of their families. We want to expand our unique and effective rural training and research center, including our 1,300-acre exhibition farm and registered forest, so we can continue to provide information, skills, and awareness to our, our to building stronger rural communities. We also want to develop and advocate support for policies that be, be, directly benefit our membership, black farmers, other family farmers, and low-income rural communities. So, a lot. You're doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't go on, but I, th- just, I thought I should stop. <laughs> just a few simple tasks to get done. Yeah, I don't no, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, I want to talk, ask you more about your role in particular, but before that, it just occurred to me that, you know, I think it's interesting that the Federation is so focused on cooperatives and like, why, why is that? Like, what, what is it that makes a cooperative um, kind of an effective um, model for agriculture and particularly for, you know, these groups of farmers that, that you work with in the South? Like, I'm, I'm just curious about the, the cooperative model and, and why it's so important to what you do. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm originally from Jamaica. And so for Hmm. me, the reason that cooperatives really stand out to me, I'm, I'm the granddaughter of a Chinese immigrant to Jamaica who definitely participated in a collaborative cooperative uh, market to have grocery stores throughout the island of Jamaica. So for me, on a very personal level, I think of the ways in which communities that pool their resources can withstand global pandemics. They can withstand uh, discrimination in lending and practices that would be very, very detrimental to an individual land or landowner or business owner, agribusiness owner in their development of of their wealth creation models for their families. And so I've seen it on a personal level, but I think in the history of the Federation, what we saw was that Jim Crow was very effective at taking out individual communities, Black Wall Streets. Um, we see with Rosewood and different Black sustaining communities that were isolated because they were they could be targeted targeted in isolated ways. But when folks join forces, they're able to better withstand all the economic and racial injustice pressures against their success. And so I think the cooperative model really is a really great model for representing the diversity amongst our membership, as well as the ability of our membership to withstand all of the historical and present day attacks against their individual autonomous success. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I I think um I think that the, I've I've read a few um articles too about how I think potentially the pandemic might uh sort of 
lead to a little bit more emphasis on co-ops. I think people are looking for kind of more resilient <laughs> ways to band together and, and produce food. And, and co-ops seem to me to be sort of an underutilized um, model. And uh, especially in agriculture, a lot of the bigger co-ops have are not really co-ops anymore. But the kinds of co-ops you're talking about are like, just really people that have banded together in a way that makes them gives them power and stability, right? In in a way that you don't have on your own. Um, so so you're working on land retention. Um, what are some of the most effective strategies that you plan to focus on um, in your role at the the federation? So one of the things that I'll be focusing on is really addressing all the myriad legal issues related to air property ownership, including clearing title, for example, and estate planning. And one of those ways that we'll do the estate planning and title clearing work is that in the December of last year, my predecessor and the, the staff at the Federation hosted our annual air property conference. And there were 100 air property owners identified that had legal issues. And we gave them a checklist of things that they can work on independently. And we are going to be working with them to ensure that they get sufficient and adequate legal services to addressing whatever their specific needs are. One of the ways we will do that is through our internship program. So our interns start next Monday um, and in <laughs> partnership with John Deere and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, they'll be getting a training that I wish I had when I started out practicing <laughs> on exactly how to, you know, work with air property owners because, you know, you're not dealing with a client that you can have you know, send a quick email all the time, they might not have internet ah, access, right? And so right. there are specific needs that they have. One of our thing, one of our service delivery methods will be a mobile wills clinic where we'll actually travel to where the farmland is located to help with the collection of the documents that are necessary for clearing title and having a comprehensive estate plan. So that's a big project that we'll be working on this summer and throughout the end of this year. Another thing that I'll be working on is through my role as a mediator uh, for, um, we, we provide services for folks who have disputes with the USDA programs and services. And through that, uh, through that uh, hat, if you will, I'll also mm -hmm. be assisting with uh, mediation for air property family members where there's, you know, family disputes around how the land should be managed and what should be done for the next generation. And then finally, uh, under my advocacy hat, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll serve as the liaison between our members and our members' elected representatives to ensure that their needs are adequately being addressed. For example, the Uniform Partition of Air Property Act needs to be passed in all of the states. And we also want to make sure that we're implementing uh, cooperative formation legislation wherever our members are located, because as you can imagine, um, cooperative formation is not super popular mm. <laughs> throughout the Southeast or, or in a lot of the states where our members are located. So that's something that we definitely want to be addressing uh, right now. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, core of your your position land retention um and you know with the heirs property it, you can see this really clearly it sort of implies preventing the lot more loss right like making sure people who are 
potentially going to lose land, um, that it doesn't happen, that you're you're stepping in as their legal representative. But what about land that has already been been lost? Um, or what about also like, you know, getting more um, black farmers on on land, even if, you know, they they don't have a direct lineage that they can trace to, you know, this is land that I lost, you know, just getting new black farmers on land when, if they are interested in, in farming. Um, are you looking at those fronts as well? Absolutely. So the full name of our very long name <laughs> is, the, <laughs> is the Federation of Southern Cooperatives Land Assistance Fund. A uh, land okay. assistance fund was actually a separate entity. And then in the 80s, it merged with the Federation because of exactly the, the issue that you identified. We want to ensure that our cooperatives are, are strong businesses, but we also want to make sure that for the land retention uh, piece, there's money available for keeping the land um, available for new and emerging black farmers um, or, or farmers, like you, you said, that haven't historically had access to land. And so yeah. we are doing, we were a part of the advocacy around the implementation of the Ears Property Relending Program. And that was part of an idea coming out of the Land Assistance Fund for a, res a revolving loan fund where, mm. you know, for example, if a farmer was facing tax sale or petition sale, we could be engaged in, you know, giving them access to, to, to money so that they could prevent that loss of land. And so that is kind of written into the 2018 Farm Bill's Fair Access for Farmers and Ranchers Act, but it has not yet been implemented. So that's some of the advocacy work that we're trying to raise awareness around. And we'll definitely be doing a lot of campaigns to make sure that, as you said, there's still uh, uh, opportunities for those who want to get into agriculture to have access to land and to reacquire, if possible, any land that has been previously lost. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you more about uh, the policy front and um you know, the USDA in particular historically has um, discriminated against black farmers. And, you know, you mentioned loans. They've There's a lot of documentation of how um, USDA has denied loans to black farmers um, systematically over decades and decades, right? Um, so the this new legislation that just passed the American Rescue Plan allocated four billion in debt relief for black farmers and then another uh, billion dollars to set up a racial equity commission at the agency. Um, I'm curious what impact you think these recent initiatives might have. Like are you optimistic about real change at USDA? So to put it in context, I am coming back from a, a soft retirement <laughs> from this work <laughs> when um, I was working at the Land Loss Prevention Project in North Carolina uh, seven years ago. The 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 administration that came into power in North Carolina cut funding for all of the organizations that were Black-led or historically had been Black-led organizations, which included funding for the work that I was <laughs> I was doing Jeez. in particular. And so I, you know, definitely went into a state of 
you know, despair, I guess is the, is the best yeah. word personally, because this is work that means everything to me. And I'm extremely passionate about it's very, very important work. And so the past couple years, you know, just looking at uh, the statistics not improving and our community com- continuing to to face the same issues that I set out my my legal career to, to address was very challenging. And what I'm excited about and what kind of brought me back, um, I, I've always wanted to work with the Federation. Uh, the Fed, the, one of the farmers, um, Ben Burkett in Mississippi, is the reason I even learned about the issue of Black land loss. And so I had always had this goal to to work here. And when I saw some of the shifts happening in the administration, I saw some of this legislation, I just felt really, really excited and optimistic of the introduction of this legislation as an acknowledgement of the work that I set out to do. And and especially an acknowledgement of the unique challenges facing black farmers. But I think that these initiatives will only be as effective as they are responsive to the actual needs of black farmers. And by that, I mean, black farmers and the organizations like ours that work directly with them need to be fully prioritized and present in any discussions about the rulemaking and implementation of any of this legislation. I think for our membership, it it means that there's an opportunity to directly advocate and educate the public and our elected officials on the black farmers position as first responders. You know, we were, you know, delivering boxes of food. You know, we were on the front lines under COVID. Yes. And and we have been historically on the front lines of the racial justice work. A lot of the racial justice for other uh, groups, uh, other socially disadvantaged farmer and rancher groups comes out of the long history of black farmers kind of leading that charge and that fight. And so I'm very excited to see that this legislation is being presented. And I hope that the, the folks that are implementing it acknowledge and address that black farmers need to be prioritized front and center. Absolutely. Well, Dania, thank you so much for coming on the show and and talking about this important issue. I really appreciate it. Of course, it was such a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. Until next time, this is Lisa Held. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.